Are you ready to get in the word today? I'm exhausted. I don't even know if I've got it left in me. I really don't know. Just kidding. Uh, this morning, we're going to continue in our series uh, from the book of Philippians that we have titled Live Strong. And in preparation, go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 3. While you're doing that, I would like to just uh, make an observation regarding the Apostle Paul. I have noticed that while reading Philippians and some of the other epistles that Paul wrote, it appears to me that he is a sports fan. Over and over again, he uses illustrations from athletics to make his point. He speaks of wrestling, boxing, running, winning the race, winning the prize, and winning crowns. He also talks about the discipline of winning and the danger of being disqualified. Now, I don't know if Paul played any sports himself, but it was clear that he was fully acquainted with the athletics of the first century. In fact, when he summed up his life in 2 Timothy of chapter 4, verse 7, he wrote these words, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. That first phrase of, phrase, of course, comes from boxing or wrestling. The second uh, is from running. So, so when Paul references athletics, it doesn't at all surprise me. Because within sports, you will find many illustrations for, that, that can make important spiritual truths for us. Take football, for example. I love college football. I'm, I'm, yesterday, I spent a lot of time watching college football on the television. Football teaches us valuable traits, such as discipline, training, perseverance, teamwork, the value of, of high goals. It also teaches us how to keep both victory and defeat in the proper perspective. You don't always gloat when you win. You have to gloat with respect and dignity. You also have to lose with respect and dignity. Football teaches us that you've gotta maintain a consistent effort throughout the game, from the kickoff to the end of the game. Most coaches like to say that football is a, is a game of four quarters because it's not enough to just start well. It's not enough to just lead at halftime. You've gotta lead at the end of the game if you plan to have a victory. And when you think about it, in many ways, the Christian life is exactly the same. It's not enough for us to start with a bang. We've also got to end the race well. This walk called Christianity isn't a sprint, ladies and gentlemen. It is a marathon. And I think the sooner that we understand that, the better off we will be. Too many people enter into the Christian life with all kinds of enthusiasm only for it to disappear into mediocrity along the way. And that's really sad. I know that God views it as sad. You see, following Jesus Christ is not a hobby. It's not like collecting stamps or, or coins or something. It demands a full commitment of our life. It demands living according to the truths found in God's word. And, and, and one thing I want you to understand, it does not mean perfection. Because there was only one who was perfect, and that was Jesus Christ. But it does mean perseverance. It does mean pressing toward that goal. Anything that you wanna do in this life, if you wanna do it and be committed to it, you must exercise your mind, your body, your soul, and your strength towards that endeavor. So in our text this morning that we're going to read, Paul shares some important principles. They are principles for winning the prize when the game of life is over. And I would like to present them to you this morning. We're gonna start out by reading our scripture reference in its entirety. So let's go again, chapter three of Philippians. We will be reading verses 12 through 21. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry. It'll be up on the screen behind me and you can follow along. And after we read this and we move forward, we're gonna go back to it and we're gonna break down the different sections of the scriptures. Philippians chapter three, Verses 12 through 21, I'll be reading from the New King James Version this morning. The apostle writes, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, 
I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal, will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Verse 17, brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly, we also eagerly await for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. The Apostle Paul here hits on several topics regarding the walk of faith as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this morning, I wanted to discuss some crucial principles with you uh, about winning the prize uh, once the game of life is over for us. So let's go back to Philippians 12 through 14. Paul starts by saying, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, I'm done with those, and reaching forward to those which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. If this text does nothing else, it should put an end to the expectation of perfection in this life. Because Paul begins with an honest admission when he says this, I have not yet attained, I have not perfected, I have not apprehended, it depends on the translation, the Bible translation you are reading. He's saying, I am not there yet. Unlike so many contemporary religious leaders of our day, he has no problem admitting his own personal shortcomings. And I don't know about you, but I find that very refreshing. Paul isn't perfect yet, and he knows it, and you and I know it. How do we know it? Because we're no different than he is. We are just like him. But it's at that place of understanding, it's when we understand that we are not perfect, well, that's where both Paul and our own spiritual growth begins. Twice, he says, I press on, meaning I'm not where I want to be, but I'm gonna keep moving in that direction. In the spiritual life, direction makes all the difference in the world. True believers aren't in heaven yet, but we certainly aim our, our feet and our, direct, our steps towards that direction. In Paul's case, he, uh, this involved both a, a sanctified forgetting of the past as well as a resolute, I'm pushing forward. Note the total concentration contained in his words. He says here, one thing I do. Here's the secret that applies across the board. If you wanna excel in any area of your life, a person must say, this one thing I do, not these 29 things I do. Because if you're trying to do 29 different things, you're not gonna be real good at any one of them, not to mention you will burn yourself completely out. A single-minded focus in any endeavor generally wins great reward. A great artist must say, this one thing I do. A, a, a world-class athlete must say, this one thing I do. A parent raising a, a child must say, this one thing I do. A student who wants to graduate with honors must say, this one thing I do. Greatness in any arena comes down to those who can say with the Apostle Paul, this one thing I do. 
Now, in his case, it meant looking to the heavenly goal of winning the prize. And that phrase covers all that God has for us. When we finally stand before Jesus Christ and we hear him say these words, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. I read a story of a young man who, from a wealthy family who attended Yale University about 100 years ago. His family intended that once he completed his degree, that he would enter a suitable career uh, in the United States, but God had gripped his heart with the needs of China back then. So he volunteered to go to that country with the gospel of Jesus Christ, much to the dismay of his family and his friends. Well, he left America, but sadly he never made it to China. He succumbed to a disease before reaching his destination. And after his death, they found a handwritten note that was found within his personal effects. And he wrote this, this summarized his life, no reserve, no retreat, no regrets. I wonder how many of us could, could say that same kind of thing about our life. Perhaps you've heard of Dr. David Livingstone. He was a pioneering medical missionary to Africa. When he returned to Great Britain, he was asked, where do you want to go now? His answer was immediate. He said, I am ready to go anywhere provided it be forward. So if you want to win the race that is set before you, ladies and gentlemen, you must always place, pay close attention to the direction that you're heading. Check your course of direction. Make sure you are moving in God's direction and not away from him. Everyone gets somewhere in this life, and it's like I asked you last week. You remember I said, where will you be when you get where you're going? I hope where you're going is heaven. Principle number two. Follow faithful leaders. Philippians 3, 15 through 17 says, Therefore let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. Notice how Paul says it in verse 17. Brethren, join in following my example. That sounds like an astounding thing for another human being to say to another. If you wanna learn how to pray, follow me. If you wanna become a faithful evangelist, then follow me. If you wanna study the Bible, follow me. If you wanna see compassion in action, follow me. If you wanna know God better, then you need to follow me. Who among us would dare utter such words? Yet six different times in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says, follow me. Was he some kind of an egotistical braggart? No. Did he actually think he was a perfect Christian? No, he tells us in this scripture he has not even arrived to spiritual completion. Well, then why did and how could Paul say, follow me? What Paul meant was follow me because I'm following Christ. Follow me because that's where I'm heading. That's where my feet are pointing. If you want to be on the right path, follow me because I'm on the right path. I want you to think of life the Christian life as a long parade, stretching from earth and a winding road all the way up to heaven. At the head of the line, we see Jesus, the provider of our salvation, the author and the finisher of our faith. And step by step, he is leading his followers to glory. And it's a long road and it's got all kinds of twists, and it's got all kinds of turns, but he is fully committed to seeing that we make it to the end. And since the parade of, of people is so long, and it is filled with literally millions upon millions of people, we need people in front of us who can keep us on track. We need mentors. We need models. We need heroes, if you will. We need people who are further along on their spiritual journey who can keep us pointing toward the Lord. Sometimes when we don't have that kind of input, we're likely to veer off the rail. We're likely to end up in the ditch. So I want to ask you two questions this morning as you think about that. 
Who are you following? Have you ever asked yourself, have you even thought about this before? Who is up ahead of you showing you the way? Who is pointing out to you the rough places in the road, making sure that you don't make a wrong turn somewhere? Well, certainly you must first rely on the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit will give you direction if you seek him. He will give you direction. But, but Paul is suggesting that in addition to that, we need people in our lives like that. None of us ever reaches a point where we can say, I can do this on my own. Even if you've been a Christian for 20, 40, 70 years, you'll find the importance and the encouragement that comes from being around people who pray better than you do, who witness more than you do, who have a deeper knowledge of God's word than you have. You need their example. You need their encouragement as well as the challenges that they provide for your life. And they will challenge you. People who are deeper in God will challenge those of us who are less deep in God to become deeper in God. And, and, and you need this example. This touches on a very, very practical point. Would you like to learn to pray? It's not hard. Just hang around people who are prayer warriors. You'll learn how to pray. Would you like to grow in joy? Then start hanging around more joyful people. You wish you had a heart for winning souls, winning this world for Jesus Christ? Spend some time with missionary-minded people and watch your heart change for the lost little by little. Are you struggling with temptation? Then find someone who has fought and won that same battle. Would you like to develop the gift of teaching? Well, if so, then sit at the feet of gifted teachers and learn from them. Learn how they do what they do. Follow faithful leaders, and soon enough, their godly example will naturally develop you into being a better man or woman of God. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. So one woman sharpens another. I have that scripture on a plaque in my office and it's an integral part of my Christian walk, and I believe in it fully. We do sharpen one another. Since becoming involved in FaithWorks, the thing that we're meeting tonight over at the other church, uh, and, and as I started years ago, probably seven years ago, praying with the pastors in town, we do that on, on Wednesday mornings, we've been praying that God would transform our community, that he would bring revival to Red Bluff, California. And through all of that, we have developed some very deep and personal relationships with each other, and it has been so awesome for me. And we've talked about this many times when we get together and we just have conversations, we, 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 we all agree and have all spoken at one time or the other that when we're together, God sharpens us all. Our relationships and our examples that we set for one another when we are together makes us wanna be better men of God. It makes us wanna be better pastors, better husbands, better fathers. So whoever it is that, that you are following, it is an important element of your Christian walk. Make sure that it is someone who is rooted in God's word and not someone who just gives you personal opinion. Opinions come a dime a dozen and they mean absolutely nothing. If they cannot filter it through the word of God and show you that the word of God says this is the way you should go, don't take their personal opinions. I have seen people recently make major changes in their spiritual life based on someone's opinion. You cannot live that way. Make sure it is someone who will hold your feet to the fire. Make sure it's someone who has enough wisdom to live in this age in which we live. Here's my second question for you. Who is following you? Think about, again, that great parade. Jesus stands in the front, followed by vast amounts of millions of people, so large you can't even count, and you strain to even get a glimpse of our Lord. It's hard to see him through the miles upon miles of people. So you simply begin to follow the crowd in front of you. And as long as they are following Jesus, you are following through their good example. But now I want you to turn around and I want you to look behind you. Do you see all the faces that are peering in your direction? They're following you. And you don't even realize it. You're looking forward. But you got people who are looking to you. They're following you. As long as you follow those 
who follow Christ, you will be following Christ also. But here's the other part. Naturally, others will begin to follow you too. Right now, someone is following you. Right now, someone looks to you for the answer. Right now, someone prays because they heard you pray. Right now, someone is watching you fight your own personal battles. Right now, someone wants to be like you. Someone is cheering you on. Someone sees Christ in your life. Right now, someone admires your strength. Right now, someone is borrowing your faith because they have none. Right now, someone believes you are the best Christian that they know. Right now, someone is hanging tough because you are standing tall. Right now, someone is smiling when they speak your name. Right now, someone thanks God for the relationship they have with you. Right now, someone cares that you make the right choices. Right now, ladies and gentlemen, someone is following you. So stay on the path. Keep your eyes, like the Apostle Paul says, on the prize. Find some good examples and follow them. And don't forget that someone is following you as you follow others who are following Christ Jesus. And most importantly, don't let that someone down. Here's principle number three. Know your enemies. Philippians 3, 18 through 19. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. Here's the flip side to this previous principle. Yes, we must follow faithful leaders, but we, we, we must also watch out for our enemies. So who are these enemies of the cross? I doubt that Paul would use such harsh language to describe people outside of the church. No, I believe he's talking about professing Christians who are really wolves in sheep's clothing. Although they attend our churches and they worship with us on Sunday, they are not at all one with us. Here's the tricky part. They aren't out there, they're in here. They are part of the church. They say they are a part of the family of God. They are people who were once single-minded. They were fully devoted to Jesus, but now they're wavering in their commitment. Even worse, they have become sensual Christians. They are seduced by their appetites, by their passions, for earthly things. These people are so seduced that Paul calls them enemies of the cross. He says that they are an embarrassment. He says that they are hurting the cause of Christ. In fact, notice he says, I tell you this even weeping. As he tells them about these people, the apostle is crying. This whole thing is devastating to the heart of the apostle Paul. This picture of, of a once strong, dedicated, soldier-like follower of the Lord Jesus Christ turning into a soft, compromising, backpedaling betrayer of our Lord. Paul hates to see people go backwards spiritually, and I think anybody who loves the Lord feels the same way. So he despises those forces that are causing that kind of, of spiritual undoing. So how do you spot them? Well, they claim to be Christians, but their very lives betray them. They live for self-gratification and lust and, and gluttony and greed and, and sexual immorality and anger and, and drunkenness and all the other sins of the flesh. They even brag about their sins. This is what Paul meant when he said their glory is their shame because they boast on their shame and they drag others down with them. They will destroy you if you will let them. Let me say it in another way. Not every relationship you have is good for you. It's just not. Some of you here this morning, you are aware of a relationship in your life that is right now pulling you away 
from Jesus. They're doing everything they can to try to discourage you in your walk. You must not give them that kind of an influence over your life. It may be a romantic interest, that's always a big one, or a friendship at school, or a friendship at work, or with a neighbor, Perhaps, perhaps it's a passing casual acquaintance. Maybe it's someone you met on social media or someone you met at some kind of a social activity or even at a church service somewhere. The point is clear. If that relationship is pulling you away from Jesus, you need to break it off, period. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Break it off now, do it now, quit making excuses. I can't tell you who needs to hear that word this morning, but somebody here does. Now you've heard it, now act upon it. Know who your enemies are, mark them, avoid them. There's no other way to win the prize, no other way. Here's principle number four. Remember your true identity. Philippians 3, 20 and 21. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Verse 20 begins with a huge contrast. The enemies of the cross live for earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And those specific words would have had real meaning to the Philippians. You see, they were granted Roman citizenship even though they were 800 miles or so from the imperial capital. They lived in Philippi, but their citizenship was in Rome. And in a similar way, we live on earth, but our hearts are home. Our hearts are in heaven. When we talked last week about credentials, an example that I used was just try getting into China without the proper uh, uh, passport, without the proper credentials, and see what happens. Because if you travel overseas to any other country, a passport will be required in order to, to, to gain entry into whatever country you're trying to get into. Paul here is saying that, that Christians have been issued a spiritual passport, if you will, from the commonwealth of heaven. Then he lists two evidences of, of our heavenly citizenship. First of all, we're eager to see Jesus return to this earth. The phrase that he uses here, eagerly await, has the idea of a child standing on, on tiptoes waiting for mommy or daddy to come home from work at the end of the day. Secondly, we are expecting a, a glorious transformation of our, of our earthly bodies. The word transform comes from the Greek word that is the root of our English word, schematic. It means to draw or to diagram the inner workings of a device. So what do we know about this advice, or this device, this, this physical body of ours? Well, we know that they are made from, from the earth. They are made from the dust according to the word of God. We also know that they're constantly wearing out. We know that our bodies eventually uh, will return to the earth from whence they came. Thus the statement in the scriptures, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. That's why the King James Version uses the phrase, our vile bodies, believe it or not. It's an expression that becomes more apparent the older we get, when things don't seem to work the same as they did before. In 2 Corinthians chapter four, Paul tells us outwardly, we are wasting away. It's a very normal thing. And it progresses the older we get. Can I get an amen? amen. Things change. We feel different. We begin to look different as we age. Listen, sooner or later, old man wrinkle is coming for every one of us. And if you, and if you have any doubts about that, just look at the person sitting next to you. Oh, I mean, no, look at yourself in the mirror instead. What you'll discover is that outwardly, we're wasting away. Unknown to most people, around the age of 25, yes, you youngsters, certain changes start to happen in the outer you. Bones begin to lose calcium, skin begins to lose elasticity, age spots begin to multiply, you start losing brain cells, seriously, at an alarming rate, 
In fact, if you're over 30, you'll lose about 10,000 brain cells every single day. Our weight, <laughs> our weight begins to shift from the poles in our body down to the equator. Hair stops growing where you want it to grow and begins to boldly grow in places where hair has never grown before. Because outwardly, we are wasting away. Now, some of you here in your 20s, you're thinking to yourself, well, that'll never happen to me. I got beautiful hair. I won't get wrinkles because I wear sunscreen, SPF 1074. And I'll never gain weight because I faithfully exercise and I watch my diet. And to those of us who are older, we want you to know how we truly understand your thoughts and we really, really do love you. <laughs> but it will happen to you. And the truth is we can't wait until it does. paid more money, you'd get better jokes, okay? So I'm gonna move on. I'll get away from the comedy show here. Philippians 3 ends with a ringing declaration that, that one day God is going to re-schematic these earthly bodies of ours. They will be raised from the dead and they will be re-engineered to be like his glorious body. In the words of one biblical commentator, we will be raised and beautified. <laughs> I like the sound of that. I not only want to be raised, but I definitely need some beautification. How about you? And he will do it by the same power that enables him to run the entire universe seamlessly. Think about it. No more glasses. No more crutches. No more walkers. No more ICU units. No more heart attacks. No more cancer. No more strokes, no more diabetes, no more Alzheimer's, no more kidney failure, no more disease, no more death. A few years back, I read a story that was very touching, and it helps me to illustrate this, this final truth from our text. A woman had been diagnosed with cancer. She was given three months to live. Her doctor told her to start making final preparations so she contacted her pastor and she had him come over to her home to discuss certain aspects of her final wishes. She told him which songs she wanted sung at her funeral, what scriptures she wanted read at her funeral. She told him what she wanted to wear while she was in the casket. The woman also told her pastor that she wanted to be buried with her favorite Bible. Everything was in order. As the pastor was prepared to leave, the woman suddenly remembered one very important thing to her. There's one more thing, she said excitedly, and this one's very important. I want to be buried with a fork in my right hand, a fork. Pastor stood there staring at the woman. He didn't know what to say. She said, that shocks you, doesn't it? He said, uh, well, to be honest, I'm kind of puzzled by the request. She said to him, in all my years of attending church socials and functions where food was involved, my favorite part was when whoever was clearing away the dishes of the main course, they would lean over to me and they would say, you can keep your fork. It was my favorite part, she said, because I knew something better was coming. When they told me to keep my fork, I knew that something great was about to be given to me and it was the finale, it was the dessert. So I just want people, she said, to see me in that casket with a fork in my hand, and I want them to wonder what in the world is up with the fork. <laughs> then I want you, Pastor so-and-so, to tell them that something better is coming their way, so keep your fork too. Pastor's eyes welled up with tears of joy. He hugged the woman goodbye. He knew it might be one of the last times he would see her before her death, but he also understood that this woman had a greater grasp of heaven than even he did. He knew something better was coming. She knew it as well, and she enlightened him on it once again. At the funeral, people walked by the casket. They noticed her pretty dress. They noticed her well-read Bible, and they noticed the fork that was in her right hand. And over and over, the pastor heard the comments, what's with the fork? And over and over, he just smiled at him when they walked by. 
And during his message, the pastor told the other people about the conversation that he had had with this woman shortly before she died. He also told them about the fork, what the fork had symbolized for her. Pastor told the people he could not stop thinking about the fork and that they probably would not be able to stop thinking about it either. And he was right. So the next time you reach for your fork, let it be a reminder to you that something better is coming. You know, here's what I think. Here's what I think. I believe that the many doubts and the difficulties that we experience in this life comes from the fact that we lose sight that something better is coming. We really do. We really do. And that is eternity. We have eternity to look forward to, folks. You see, this moment in time, I like to call it the here and now, because that's the best description I know for it. This is all we really know. This is all we've experienced. Yes, we know that there's eternity promised to us, because we know there's a place called heaven, and it's been promised to all of those who love and who serve Jesus. We've just never seen it. We've never experienced it. What we do know is what we have experienced here walking this earth. And though God has blessed us with this beautiful planet that we live on called earth, this place and all that is within it cannot, let me repeat, it cannot become our all in all. Because one day it will fade away. And when we die, we will spend eternity somewhere else. And I don't know about you, but I want my eternity to be spent in the presence of God. That's the ultimate destination, ladies and gentlemen. That's the purpose for your very existence in this life. So in the meantime, to use some of Paul's terminology, go for the gold. Win the race that has been set before you. Win the prize. And you can win the prize, ladies and gentlemen, if you'll take Paul's advice, if you'll pay attention to your direction, if, if you'll follow faithful leaders, if, if you will know your enemies, if you remember your true identity, that's how you win the race. Scott, would you guys come forward and help me to close this down? I titled this message today, Pressing Toward the Goal. Because as followers of Christ, it truly does sum up our daily walk. We press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And I'm aware, just like you are, that it has its challenges. Because when I talk to some of you, I find you discouraged. And that's not at all what God wants for you. I think discouragement comes because we have this image of what we want to become. And because like the Apostle Paul, we haven't arrived to that, that level yet, we get really hard on ourselves. We are our own worst enemy. Nobody will beat you up more than you beat yourself up. And I guess what I love about the scripture that we read today is that Paul admits that he hasn't arrived either. When you look at what this man accomplished for the kingdom of God, and then you hear the honest evaluation that he has of his own life, when he admitted that he has not yet attained, I think it has a way of putting things into perspective. At least it does for me. And that perspective is very, very simple. We all fall short at times. We all make mistakes. Yes, so does your pastor. I've said this a thousand times, but I will continue to say it. Don't ever put me on a pedestal, folks. Don't ever do that, because it's a long way down when you fall. I am not above sin. I am not above messing up. I mess up a lot, but I, am, I have not yet attained what I want, but I keep striving. Now, if that disappoints you, I'm sorry. I'm being human with you right now. I'm being real with you. I'm not going to paint a rosy picture. I am flesh and blood just like you. I have temptations come across my plate just like you do. 
I deal with the same things that you deal with, just in different ways. You got a problem with that? I hope not. Because that's the enemy working against me. And there's spiritual warfare going on constantly around me and my life and the things that I do here. And I have to be on guard. And I have to stay strong. And so do you. You have to keep on keeping on. God doesn't want you to be discouraged. He wants you not to let those failures keep you away from reaching your ultimate destination. Paul's point here today is keep on keeping on. He said, forgetting those things which are behind, stuff we've already experienced, the mistakes we've already made, keeping those things behind and reaching towards those things which are ahead. He says, I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I believe that there are people here this morning and you're having a hard time forgetting those things which are behind you. I'm talking about past mistakes, past sin, times when you fell short of what God would have expected from you, errors in judgment, times when you were blinded to the truth. Your mind goes back to those moments and then Satan uses them as reasons why you should be disqualified from moving ahead. You see, our enemy will always speak words to you in your inner ear. And he will say things like, you messed up big time now. You're a hypocrite. God's mad at you. You might as well just walk away. He's going to crush you like a bug. You're a joke. You ever had words like that come into your head? Probably every day of your life, right? And sadly, we start to believe him. And when we start to believe him, we naturally start to retreat. Not towards God, but away from God. But when Paul says forgetting these things, he realizes that only happens through God's grace. He also knows the reason you can continue to press on is because you have an incredible force that dwells inside of you called the Holy Spirit. Because when you accept Christ as Lord, his spirit now inhabits you. And he knows it's the Holy Spirit who drives and who strengthens us when we have these moments where we feel like we don't measure up, when we feel like we can't go any further. In addition to those here today who can't forget the things that are behind you, I believe there are also Christians here today who are discouraged. In both cases, perhaps you're finding yourself a little bit weary. Today, the Lord wants to relieve you of those feelings of inadequacy. He wants you to leave here encouraged in your Christian walk. He wants you to get to the, to the point of pointing your feet back in his direction. What you need is a fresh infilling of God's spirit. Sometimes you need just to come down and, and stand, lay at this altar before God and say, God, I need you to empower me once again. Ask the Holy Spirit to refresh you. He will. Perhaps you're here today and you don't know Jesus. You know who he is. You've heard him spoken your entire life, but you've never given your life. You've never committed your life to him. You've never invited him. He's a God of invitation. He will convict you through his spirit, but only you can say, yes, Jesus, I receive you. I want you in my life. You feel like there's a piece of the puzzle of your life missing. That's because you're missing God. That hole will never be filled. You can try to fill it with everything else, but until you fill it with God, you will never be satisfied. The Bible says in order to receive Christ as Lord and Savior, you must first believe that he is the Son of God and that he came and he died an excruciating death on the cross and the blood that he shed covers, it atones your sin. You gotta believe that. You gotta believe he's the only way to God the Father and you confess that in prayer. Father, I am a sinner in need of forgiveness and grace. I invite you to be the Lord of my life and you pray a prayer like that with sincerity and desire in your heart to know him. You will be saved. You will receive salvation. The Bible calls you a new creation. I also believe there are people here today, you need some direction in your life. You're dealing with a, a situation and you need supernatural wisdom. You need supernatural guidance from God. You can come to this altar and seek exactly what it is that you need. Because when you ask, God listens. And then when you listen, God will respond.
He will provide you with the direction you need. You don't need an opinion of a human being. You need the answer from the one true God. I want to open this altar while the worship team sings. If you'd like to come up and pray about anything, feel free to. If you can't come to this altar, pray for those who are here. Pray for them like they're your own children, your own parents, your own brother or sister. Scott. Son, we need you. Oh, Lord, do we need you. 
in a world that is coming unhinged, we need you more than ever. Let that be our heart's cry, Father, that truly without you, we are nothing. We can't do anything without you. And so, Father, that we would reach out to you every moment of every day. We would allow your spirit to guide and direct us in the steps and paths and the things that we do, that they would bring glory and honor to you. God, I pray against discouragement. I pray against those who feel like they don't measure up. If we learn anything today, it's one of your very best felt the same way. And yet you work through him in incredible ways. So I pray, Father, that you would take that discouragement away from us and we would understand that we are a work in progress. We haven't arrived to our destination, but we're pointing in that direction. And Father, we will grow stronger each and every day that we serve you, each and every day that we trust you for all things, not just some things, but all things. When we allowed, when we give ourselves fully to you and hold back, we don't put anything in reserve. We say, God, here I am, warts and all, now use me, you will. You empower us, you strengthen us, you give us the ability to do things that we didn't think we could do. And I thank you for that. So I ask your blessings upon my church family. Strengthen each one of us, keep us focused. Let us be a singular, singularly focused people and our focus is upon you. Because when we seek you and your righteousness, everything else falls into place. Let that be our single focus. And Father, as we go our separate ways today, I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide and direct our steps, the things we do, the places we go, the conversations that we have. Let those conversations build people up and not tear them down. Father, let the love of Christ shine through us so brightly in this dark world that people would see it and would know that there's something different, be compelled by it and ask us, what is it that's different about us? And then Lord, give us the words to speak, to share your goodness with them. In fact, Father, I pray for a, for a God-ordained moment, an encounter for each one of us this week. Let someone come across our path that we can share your goodness with. Tell them to taste and see that the Lord is good, as the scripture says. So Father, as we go our separate ways, I pray that you'll keep us safe from, from accidents, safe from sickness and disease until we can gather together again as a church family and worship you in spirit and in truth. And as we go our separate ways today, Father, let us go in the love of Christ. And I ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. thank you for being here.